Welcome to Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve podcast, where you get a guaranteed return on investment of your time as we cut your learning curve with the information you can apply to your farming operation immediately. Extreme Ag, we've already made the mistakes, so you don't have to. Managing your farm's water resources is a critical component to a successful and sustainable farming operation. Advanced Drainage Systems helps farmers just like you increase their yields up to 30% with their technologically advanced water management products. Visit ADSPipe.com to see how they can keep your business flowing. Now, here's your host, Damian Mason. Hey, greetings and welcome to another fantastic episode of Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve, where we promise you, you spend a little bit of time with us, we're going to shorten your learning curve, we're going to give you great information you can use on your farming operation and apply to your business for greater success and profitability. This is part two with a great guest. We did an episode all about ethanol, which bled into sustainable aviation fuel and the demand for corn and what it means through the entire global marketplace and also what it means at your farm gate. Well, now we're going to talk about renewable diesel. Renewable diesel is a product I first heard about just in January of 2022. And I'm around ag quite a bit, going all over the meeting circuit, listening to other speakers, talking to all sorts of industry, and I'm starting to hear about renewable diesel. So I thought, wow, let's bring in this guy named Pete Meyer. He's a smart dude. He is the Platts Head of Grain, Oilseed, and Advanced Food Feedstocks Analytics for S&P Global uh, Commodity Insights. Uh, he's on the East Coast. He's on ag media all the time. He used to be a floor trader. He gets the marketplace, and we're going to talk about the marketplace for soy and what it might be evolving into beyond just your normal soybean consumption. And we're talking about making it into soy diesel, but it's not like biodiesel was before. It's a new iteration. And he's going to tell us all about that. So Pete, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Jamie. And I appreciate it. Renewable diesel. First heard about it just, and we're recording this, dear listener, in April of 2022, just for reference. So if you're listening to this and it's down the road, you're saying, oh, yeah, we've been here about it. I just heard about it four months ago. Was I asleep at the switch or is it just surprising all of us? What, where's this stuff coming from? No, you were not, you were not uh, asleep at the switch, but I can tell you that three years ago, one of the salesmen at, at S&P Global came to me and said, hey, uh, I have a client or we have a client. Uh, marathon oil. I said, yeah, I'm familiar with them. Okay. Yeah. They, they want your long-term uh, price forecast for soil, for uh, soybean oil. I said, well, hell, it's a 30 to 32, 32 to 32 cent commodity. You know, what, what, what's, what's going to change? I mean, like I said, this is, well, maybe this is now three, three years ago or so. Little did I know that they are one of the, one of the leaders in the renewable diesel. So the renewable diesel is not biodiesel. Right. Biodiesel is kind of like ethanol and gasoline, where it's added to fossil fuel to create biodiesel. Yeah, that, that's, diesel. I guess that, that's the big thing. We've been hearing about biodiesel for a while. You go to the Indiana State Fair and it says sure. this tractor powered by biodiesel made from American sure. Indiana soybeans. And I'm like, well, sure. wait, I don't even know for sure where the plants are. I know where there's ethanol facilities. There's three within 30 miles of my I've done. I've I, Ethanol plants have been clients of mine. Biodiesel, I don't even know where it's made. They've never been clients of mine. I can't name the big players. It's just, it's not really, it's not really ubiquitous. It's almost, almost obscure. And now you're saying we're going to do more of it. And that's why I'm like, fill me in here. So biodiesel. Oh, we're, not, 
we're not going to. So biodiesel is where where the 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 diesel is created from from soy oil or fats or tallows or used cooking oil, whatever is actually added to fossil fuel. The big thing with renewable diesel is this is not that at all. This is a this is a drop in fuel. So in other words, your your refinery, whether it's run by Marathon or BP or Exxon Mobil or the rest of these guys, what they do is they take a vegetable oil or a feedstock, what's called an advanced feedstock. It gets dropped into the refinery. And then you get 100% of that comes out as, as fuel. So you're not adding it to any sort of any sort of fossil fuel. This is a pure drop-in fuel. It's a standalone product. And biodiesel, biodiesel was essentially, like you're saying, always like E10 or whatever, Correct. where it was a yeah. blend. They call, it B, they call it B10. Even in Brazil, they call it B10, right? It's 10%. But that's not, that's not this. This is 100%. And... And, you know, I, I, I give speeches like you do at conferences and that sort of stuff. And I'll say stuff like that and how we see renewable diesel uh, demand and production going in a 45 degree angle. And we see renewable diesel uh, demand and production basically being flat, maybe a little bit lower. And then inevitably, somebody from the biodiesel council will, will come up to me afterwards, hand me his or her card and say, you are full of dog. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, they, and, they, don't, they don't like to hear that. No, but the fact of the matter is, is that that's it's renewable diesel is and and is the fuel of the future, um, and the fact and the reason for that is because we have these low carbon fuel standards, it's LCFS, which have been implemented in certain states. So you have it currently in California, Oregon, and Washington. Now you're going to say, hey Pete, how much diesel can we cram into those three states? Yep, I get it. I to I totally get it, but. New Mexico is trying to put it on. You have other states putting it on. Certainly, Indiana, uh, Illinois, and Minnesota, and I believe South Dakota are part of a four-state uh, consortium, which are also talking about about putting together an LCFS. The problem with an LCFS is that it's very expensive. So let me explain. Currently, uh, soybean oil is at uh, let's call it seventy-five cents. It takes seven and a half pounds of a feedstock to make a gallon. So now you're wait, talking. Wait, 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 wait. Now there, you just said it. okay. Go ahead. The I want to make sure I get this Go right. Ahead. So low Go carbon ahead. fuel standard was initiated and is passed legislatively in the three left coast states. Correct. Um, and that's big because you got California with 13% of the U.S. population. But right. then you're saying other states are looking at doing this and then what it's doing on the numbers. So then you went from the legislative approach to pushing for more renewable diesel to then the numbers. And I guess you were getting ready to tell me, does it make sense or not make sense? And I need those numbers then because we switched from legislative to economics. Well, I'll give it. So, so the numbers are that it takes seven and a half pounds of a feedstock, generally speaking, right? I mean, and to make a gallon of fuel. So it's 75 cents a gallon for soybean, uh, 75 cents a pound for soybean oil. That's $5 and 62 and a half cents per gallon to produce it. So the current uh, heating oil or diesel at the moment is $3 and 28 cents. So you're saying, ah, Pete, you're $2, you're $2, almost $2 and a half out of, out of the money. Yeah, that's true. But the LCFS, what the LCFS does is you get tax credits and you get a lot of tax credits because they want to clean up the environment. In our previous conversation, we talked about ESG, mm -hmm. big, for the, big for the investors, environmental, social governance, environmental. Here we are again, lower emissions, lower, lower pollution. So now how much do you get? Well, it depends, but typically you're going to get over $4 per gallon 
in tax credits okay. and also in the RIN value that you create when you when you produce a uh, a gallon a gallon. So so now we're down to let's say a dollar sixty two difference. But yeah, let's say after you, after you take all the credits out, and I'm just talking in in general numbers here. I think the number might be a little bit higher at four fifty. Okay, but anyway. But anyway, so it, it depends what the value of the of the rent of the rent is worth. But now you say to yourself, okay, now I can produce this fuel at a dollar sixty-two and I can sell it at three bucks, a dollar forty a gallon. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep, sure. I'm in the business. Let's go. Okay. And that and that's how that works. So without the tax credit, now the other thing your listeners have to understand, Damien, is we mentioned this earlier, is that this is not a mandate like the RFS. Right. It is not a renewable fuel standard. This is something that's been adopted by states that are worried about their pollution levels. Okay, so that's that's important because renewable fuel standards under George W. Bush, 2004, 2005, it becomes the law. And ethanol was already coming online in places like the corn states where I'm from. And so it became a law. You had to blend a certain amount, but then it also had exemptions. If you said, I'm a small refinery, and then all these oil companies essentially were doing almost underhanded stuff, but it's what any business would do if you say, well, crap, we can make more money by doing this. We're going to apply and utilize the exemption. And it was all, it was cloudy. Uh, It was screwed up. And also it was purely the government requiring you to use something, you know, like saying, hey, you have to eat this much food or you have to do this. Renewable diesel is is government, but it's by state, not federal mandate, correct? Now, yeah. Now, is a federal mandate coming? Yeah, I would think so. You say that we're going to get to where it's required by federal mandate like it already is. So it's the old thing oh. that started on the coast. It started on the coast is going to burn its way inward. Well, let's 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 look right. So you think you say on the west coast, why are they worried about pollution? The, the winds generally blow from west to east. Really, in the middle of the country is where you should be worrying about pollution. This is why Chicago gasoline prices get so high in the summer, right? Because they have to have this certain formula that they use because the air becomes stagnant and it sits there and it moves it moves to the east coast. But again, we are talking about this. You know, if you if you talk to socially minded investors, they would never invest in an oil company. Now, all of a sudden, you have an oil company that says, hey, we're going to use sustainable stuff, stuff we grow right here, energy independence. It's the same type of conversation we had about corn. Okay, now all of a sudden, it's like, hey, maybe we can spend, maybe we can send some money to these guys. Now, you know, when we talk about is there enough by the time we get to, let's say, just in three years in 2025, that's a conversation or that's a topic that is very, very debatable. So let's take this one step further, if you don't mind. In in um, in 2025, there's this there's this notion that we're going to produce five billion gallons of renewable diesel. By what year? 2025. Okay, so in three years, we're going to go to five billion gallons of renewable. Diesel. And what what's our production right now? Nah, maybe maybe it's one one and a half something like that. So five billion gallons, seven and a half pounds per gallon, thirty seven and a half billion pounds of feedstock. Let's break that down. Fats and tallows, the holy grail. Everybody wants fats and tallows because it's junk and it's garbage and they can use it. Okay. We produce 14 billion pounds of fats and tallows in this country for the last 10 years. There's no increase in production. So we think that by 2025, we'll use 90% of that. Let's call it 12. Let's just call it 12 billion. Uh-huh. Now I'm still short. Now I'm still short 28 billion, billion pounds of feedstock. 
Okay, how much soy oil did we produce in the country last year? 25 billion pounds. Oops, can't use all that. Mm-hmm. Can't use can't use all that. So USDA is like 11 billion pounds for, for renewable this year, 12. We see it going up to 20. But we also see what's happening now is that these oil companies are understanding that the soybean oil is probably the, the most accessible. With that, there's proposals out there currently for 15 new or improved U.S. soybean crush plants that are on the board or currently being worked on. That will increase your crush capacity by 500 million bushels. So if we agree that the crush capacity in the U.S. is maybe 2.5 billion bushels, now you're at 3 billion bushels. Now, besides that, in the background, the seed companies are also paying attention. Mm-hmm. And the seed companies claim that from between the current, currently last year, I think the average we produce about 19.7% of a soybean bushel uh, can, can turn into oil when they crush a soybean bushel. Now, the seed companies are saying, we can get that number to 23 and a half. And I say, well, hold on there a second. What does that do to your meal production? Because there's only so much weight. And they say, nope. We can we will keep it we'll keep it where it is. It's just going to add add soy oil or soy oil content to it. So now you have this four percent. Granted, the farmer is going to pay more for it, but the fact of the matter is, it's going to come to a time where these crush plants that are being owned or or have been uh, subsidized by energy companies are going to pay you more for that soy oil content. They are going to pay you more for that soil content. So now, so now you have that in the background, and you also have corn oil. We can use corn oil. Take it. Right. Use cooking oil. Yeah, unfortunately, we don't produce that much used cooking oil in the U.S. We're not like a European country that does a lot of deep frying at home or whatever. We don't really don't really produce produce that much of it. And as um, as discussed, this Nestea company is actually exporting all the used cooking oil they can from the U.S. to Singapore and then bringing it back to California as renewable diesel and making a profit. So, so you now can truck, you-, so you, can, you can truck old cooking oil that came out of somebody's fry daddy. <laughs> and you can cook, transport it to Asia, make it into renewable diesel, and then transport it back to California and make it make economic sense. That's happening. That's a yes. That's, hap- that's happening right now, right now, as, as we are sitting here. And okay, has been so, happening for quite a while. So let, so me, then, let me ask then. you another thing. Um, you talked about the money because it's always about the money. I mean, it's either about the politics that makes it work or it's about the economics that truly make it work. And sometimes what happens, a lot of things, and this is no exception, the politics of the legislation or the regulation will make it make sense with all of the incentives. You also talked about companies. We're not talking about you and me and three of our farmer buddies that say, we got to figure out a way to get rid of our soybeans. We're talking about marathon. We're talking about Exxon, right? That's what we're talking about because they want to be able to go to their investors as well as their customer base and and run ads into Wall Street and put it on the Monday night football and say, we care about the environment. That's why we've stopped drilling and doing shale. Uh, We're now getting all of, half of our diesel comes from soybeans. Is that what we're talking about? Where this thing really gets lift? You see it now. I saw I saw commercials recently where they're talking about about using alternatives to to fossil fuels to produce to produce diesel. Now Europe is way ahead of us on this curve, way ahead of us. I mean, legitimately, Europe probably has I don't know seventeen or eighteen plants running on hydro hydro treated vegetable oil, and they're producing renewable diesel and they're producing SAF. 
And they produce a lot of it uh, from used cooking oil, which they import a ton of used cooking oil from China, of all places. China sends all their used cooking oil to Europe, which gets turned into fuel. Now, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, we don't we don't produce that much used cooking oil in this country. And and, you know, it's it's a it's a funny story. Uh, my family, my family is from the Netherlands. And I talked to a cousin of mine a few months ago and I mentioned about this. And he says, oh, yeah, Pete, he says, you know, when you and I were younger and granted, he grew up in Holland and I grew up here in the U.S., we used to we used to go get uh, old newspapers for fundraisers, right, for your basketball league or whatever. What they're doing now is. For his kids' basketball week, what they do is they take their used cooking oil and deposit it at the sports club, and that's how the and that's how they raise money. Hmm. That's how they raise money. So Europe is way ahead of this. But when you look at a map uh, that shows the proposed renewable diesel and sustainable aviation fuel uh, uh, plants in the U.S., it's twice what what is currently running in in Europe. Now Europe is feeling a huge pinch. Because after the incursion or after the invasion or after the war, whatever word you want to use, Ukraine was a major supplier of vegetable oils, including rapeseed, sunflower and um, and soy oil to Europe, which Europe turned into renewable fuels. Now, what Europe has said is that they, you know, and it, it, it may just be a, an EU mouthpiece who said it, but by 2030, they want to be free of Russian fossil fuels. And then they doubled down three days later. This is now a week after the incursion. said, no, we're going to make that by 2027. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that there's not enough feedstock. Right. They're going to need all those plants to run all the time. And without Ukraine in the, in the, in the picture, that's going to be a very tough thing. So there's going to be a, 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 whole, a whole bunch more soybeans going from Brazil and Argentina all the way up the Atlantic to go to Europe to be turned into diesel if this is really going to happen. Now, answer me we've, that. We've already, we've already imported, last year we imported more soybean oil from Argentina. I think, okay, it's only whatever it is, 650 million pounds or something like that. But we see that. We see... Uh, the U.S. importing soybean oil from uh, from Argentina as well. The problem there, Damien, is becomes that the crop, in order to get the LCFS credit and standard, the crop needs to be needs to be grown in the U.S. So that that stuff that gets imported from Argentina is probably going to be used for cooking oil and other and other sources. But it's also an issue with canola. You can use canola. But canola coming down from Canada is probably going to be used more on the food side than it right. is on the fuel side because it is not originating in the U.S. Well, there's a certain amount of horseshit about all of that. It's like the person that says, well, wait a minute. Grandpa, you gave me $100 and said, don't spend it on drugs. So that $100 I spent on 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 uh uh, on on books, but the hundred dollars that I got from somewhere else—that's hundred dollars I spent on drugs. I mean, the, right. the canola here, the canola here. I mean, it's, it's a fungible product. But anyway, besides those funny markets, uh, by the way, that's my favorite thing. Also, when I had farmers tell me during the last time corn was an uh, eight dollar range in the two thousand eleven. And they were feeding cattle. And I said, I don't think you can justify feeding steers for your hobby operation with $7 corn. He said, I'm not feeding $7 corn. I said, you're not? He said, I raised it myself. So it doesn't cost me $7. And I said, well, if you can go and sell it at the grain elevator for $7, whether you raised it yourself or not, you know what you're feeding? $7, $7 corn. <laughs> anyway, so answer me this. Renewable diesel, um, does it get the environmental people? I know that the companies want to be able to say we are doing this environmental social governance and we're all about saving the environment. We're using soybeans. Does it does it get maligned by the environmentalists or is there a resistance to this product that say, well, it's still dirty old diesel. It still makes black smoke coming out of those semi trucks or is it been accepted? 
it's been it's been accepted. And one of the reasons it's been accepted is because, as you as you know, as a farmer, you don't need to put nitrogen down on on soybean acres. Right. So now all of a sudden you get away from the from the dirty ethanol because, oh, ethanol needs nitrogen. And then we're using natural gas. and We're doing this and we're doing that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the problem you have with with creating more soybean acres is just that. that and you know this as well as soy on soy is a is a tough mountain to uh to climb. We, we both have a friend that's a farmer that's trying soy on soy this year for the first time. And I'd be very interested. I'll go out and visit him in Western Iowa and see what, see what it looks like. But soy on soy brings with it a lot of, a lot of disease pressure. And that yeah, sort of so stuff. there's, so there's going to be the idea that we're, we're using corn mostly as a rotation or then, uh, or, or maybe the wheat, maybe wheat acres expand again. Okay. So you think it's real. Well, because we, it doesn't actually, get the environmental. Actually, Actually, we think canola goes into wheat acres in Kansas because of the canola oil, just so you know. Okay. Anyway, go ahead. Keep going. Yeah, so so <laughs> the point is it doesn't get the ire of environmentalists because it's not no. dirty, but also it doesn't require anhydrous, which is terrible, nasty stuff, and it doesn't require all yeah. the fertile, like you said. Okay, there's that thing. Um, it's got adoption from uh, the oil companies, the Exxons, Marathons, whatever, that want to be in this space. So again, they can appeal to customers and their shareholders on the whole environmental uh, compliance thing. What about the customer? What about, uh, you know, are, is there customer acceptance of this? Because there's people that bitch about ethanol being in the blend. Are there, are there acceptance uh, issues with renewable diesel? It's all about price. Okay, so as long as it's a price. And then next question. That's all. Like that's that. all. Really, really, Damien. That's that's all that's going to matter, right? It's all. It's all about price. Okay. In that's our previous, in our previous, well, it's all about environmentalism meets, you know. Well, but yeah. on the consumer side, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure there are going to be some forward-thinking uh, consumers that are going to say, "Hey, eh, you know what? I'm going to go with this renewable diesel, even if it's a few cents." But at the at the end of the day, John Q. Public is going to look at the price of the pump and say, eh, "You know what? I want." I want what I want and I okay. want it the cheapest. So we talked in our, in a previous episode that we did about ethanol, dear listener, if you haven't caught that one, if you're listening to them out of order, I encourage you to listen to Pete Meyer uh, talk about ethanol and sustainable aviation fuel in the previous episode. But either way, uh, here, here's my question. Electric vehicles uh, get plugged in. They don't need ethanol or diesel. So or what about the marketplace for renewable diesel? It's neat for you to say, we're going to pick up all this demand probably from soybeans could be from canola oil too, right? It's going to be from an oil seed, right? Oh, it's going to be, yeah, there's a, there's other available oil seeds that we can we can talk about in a bit. But here's the thing. It's one thing for GM, Ford, and Mercedes to say we're not going to make diesel engines anymore, but I don't hear Peter Bilt or, or the rest of the long-haul guys saying they're not going to make diesel engines anymore. Okay. And if there's if there's one thing we know, and we talked about this, you know, with the with the price of truck drivers going up, I mean, you know, there's a there's a diesel shortage in this country, but the fact of the matter is that this is not reactionary in 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 in, in the point that this started years before years before this diesel shortage has hit the U.S. Okay, so you think that 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 we're going to have a certain amount of demand for diesel because we're we're years away from long haul trucks, we're years away from electric tractors and combines and the stuff that burns diesel is probably going to need diesel and if we it's easier to say we got a cleaner diesel than to say we replace it with batteries for five when you need 600 horse or 800 horsepower or whatever agreed okay yeah. what are the other what do i need to know i'm a farmer i 
I'm out here and, uh, and I'm growing soybeans. Do I need to just start going wall to wall soybeans? Is that what you're telling me? No, I think, you, you know, a lot of, a lot of these investments are not going to kick in here for another, for another year or so. I mean, when you look at the USDA data, which suggests uh, on their prospective plantings report, that we're going to plant more beans than, than corn this year. I think it's a year too early. I think you have to be very, very cognizant of, of how this thing evolves. And as you suggest, there's plenty of advertisement. There's plenty of discussion in the newspapers about it. Hell, if somebody wants to call me about it, I'm glad to have the conversation with them. But this is a evolving, evolving type of, of, of situation where I am a little bit afraid that what's going to happen is we're going to produce too many soybeans this year. And China, China's demand seems to be down 9% since the beginning of the year for soybeans. And, and even though Brazil had a bad crop, they could, they could, uh, uh, they could easily take care of Chinese demand. But so I am a little bit worried that this year might be a little bit light. But that being said, what we see in this in the uh, with the renewable guys is that they're watching the curve further out. So in other words, the futures curve towards the end of this year is about 65 cents, even though the front is about 75 cents. They like it at 65 cents. They obviously like it better at 55 cents. And they bought a, a ton in December when we were down between 51 and 55 cents. But at 65 cents, it makes sense. And then the curve kind of flattens out from there. So they're watching that price. I don't see them bidding up for it. Like I don't see really, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, soybean oil on the canal got 80 cents, 80 cents a pound. I'm not so sure we can get there. Because 80 cents times seven and a half, and then you got the, you know, maybe crude comes back a little bit, heating oil prices come down, diesel prices come down. It's it's kind of difficult. So it's not just a, a land grab where, I, you know, they're not priced. The, the, what I want to say, Damien, is that these producers of renewable diesel are not price agnostic. Now, will they go after other supplies of other stuff? We talked about corn oil. Sure. We talked about used cooking oil. What we see, and this was at Yellow Greases. Uh, yellow grease, white grease. What we see is that those prices used to have tremendous differential just a few years ago. And now they've all migrated to the soybean oil price. So the soybean oil has a higher CI score, which is a carbon intensity score. So the, the users want to use something with a little bit lower carbon intensity score, but the supplies of that are very, very scarce. So they're going to use they're going to use the soybean oil, but as we talked about earlier, there may not be enough enough soybean oil. So, what do the farmers think? Well, the farmers in the in the Midwest um, probably going to be a little bit difficult for them. But farmers out west are going to see a big push for a cover crop called camelina, mm -hmm. and camel camelina is a non food oil seed which has a very high soy oil content. There's a company in Bakersfield, California called Global Clean Energy. Global Clean Energy claims they're going to start up their plan at the end of this year using 100% camelina oil. You say, oh, how does that work? Well, they've enrolled a couple hundred thousand, maybe even maybe even now 500,000 acres from Nebraska West. So that's the that's kind of the the, the area they're looking for. Yep. It's a short it's a short crop, only 75 to 80 days, needs about it, it doesn't need much moisture and the soil content is, is, is tremendous. So Exxon Mobil comes in and says, Hey, global clean energy, here's $150 million. Now here's another thing too. We talked in our earlier podcast about ethanol. These, these, if you want to bet against the ethanol lobby, I get it. You want to bet against the big oil lobby. I don't get it. No. These guys, these guys are in it, in it, in it to win it. Right. And, and it goes back to the conversation that you mentioned a little bit earlier where, 
the farmer says, well, maybe I ought to get a few of my buddies together and put together a crush plant. And I always say, stop. It didn't work well when everybody tried to tried to build their own ethanol plant. It's not going to. Why are you disenfranchising these these clients who want your want your product? And basically their contract with all these new um, crush plants or these improved crush plants is for 100 percent of the offtake of soybean oil. They have first right of refusal. Every one of these contracts has first right of refusal on 100 percent of the offtake. Anyway, I digress. Go back to Camelina. So now ExxonMobil comes in and says, hey, here's 150 million. Let's get those Camelina acres up to four or five, six million acres out west, Montana, Idaho, yep. uh, even, even the Dakotas, some of those places. That's the correct climate. That's the correct, you know, okay, what's the requirement? Well, we're going to give you the seed. You're going to plant it. You can harvest it with a with a soybean head. It's going to be harvested late April, early May. Okay, that may have a may have a little bit of a problem with your with your primary crop. You load it on, you load it on to the Burlington Northern or whatever rail is out there. It gets shipped to Bakersfield. They crush it at Bakersfield. They keep the oil and they get rid of the meal somewhere. I'm sure it's going to end up in some ration, in some rations somewhere. For livestock. So, Cam- so you said you know, we harvest we harvest Camelina in April or May? Yeah. Late well, April, early May. Interesting. And my business of agriculture podcast, uh, I did an episode about Camelina and it was a cover crop with benefits, as you said. So that's where right. it looks like it's going to get some lift. So you see some acres switching uh that uh to feed this renewable diesel thing you know it's not just soybeans it's going to be an oil seed and it could even be corn sure, and now, that goes into that and now you hear Coronada. Coronada is another one that you can grow you can you can grow in the southeast now the southeast might be a little bit difficult because obviously they plant their their crops much earlier than than, than we do in the midwest or in right. the or in the northern plains you also have sesames now sesame sesame seed can be grown on corn acres as a cover crop. The North Carolina State University has done a big study on that. Can we use sesame oil? You're damn right we can use sesame oil. Canola, can we use canola? Can we plant canola in Kansas instead of winter wheat? Uh, yes, we can. So let's go to canola. And then and then there's pennycrest. Now you and I both remember pennycrest. Pennycrest was always that weed that everybody tried to get rid of. Now they want pennycrest because pennycrest you can crush into feedstock for renewable diesel. What's, the, what's that last one, petty? Pennycrest, P-E-N-N-Y-C-R-E-S-S. You I always remember actually, talking to farmers, farmers have, saying, God, what a pain in the ass that weed is. I, I'm not sure I even know what Pennycrest is. I'm going to have to look that one up because everything else I've been familiar with. Um, okay, I'm, a federa- so I'm, I'm a venerable plethora of useless information, Damien. I appreciate that about you. Um, and, and before we hit record, we both we both threw out two of our favorite words that all don't have enough use in the common vernacular. There you go. Uh, there you can go. I ask you this then? So uh, for our listeners, what's the timing? I mean, are we talking, are we talking that, because what we're really talking about is first off a new demand source with renewable diesel, but again, a, a new demand source for maybe a crop that we don't, that we, in other words, we could be flexible. I predicted in my book about the past, present, future agriculture called Food Fear. Yes, that's a cheap plug. If you want to pick that up at DamienMason.com. I predicted that we would see a bunch more return. I don't to have anything these, to plug. <laughs> to some of these oddball crops. I grew up at the end of a flax mill road in Huntington, Indiana. There is no flax being grown in Huntington, Indiana. There's no mill, but there was one in the 1800s when they named that road. I predict an era where we see some of these things come back, the flaxes of the world, if you will. But again, it could be camelina. It could be pennycress. It could be a bunch of these other things because of new needs. And I don't think that a farmer, as much as they love to plant corn and soybeans, really gives a crap 
at the end of the day, some of them are going to say it's about making money, right? And so how quick till we're putting out camelina, canola, penny crest, uh, or even more soy to feed this machine? By, three, uh, by 2025, if we look at this 5 billion gallons of renewable diesel target, we run out of feedstocks. Okay. So renewable. So we're three years out. Renewable, three, we're three that, years that's out. A, that's a target that was set by industry and not really by a federal mandate. Nope. Okay. Nope. This, is, this is a number everybody, everybody throws around. Now we don't, we don't think we get there. We think we get, but we do think we get to about 4.2 billion gallons. So we're not that far off. So this so, is good information. We, I love it. By the way, you've also got me thinking about used every year when I fry a turkey at the farm, I used to then have this big, I'd fry three turkeys, actually big family. And I'd, I'd take my old oil after it cooled down. I'd go out and dig a, dig a little hole uh, in the cow pen and bury it so that my dogs wouldn't get into it. Now you're telling me I was just throwing away money. I could have taken that and shipped it to Singapore to have it made, have it made into diesel and then sent back to the United States. I hate, I hate when that happens. I hate it. We just lost our money. His name is Pete Meyer. My name is Damian Mason. If you have enjoyed this, please send us an email. If you want to expand on this topic, also send us an email, support at extremeag.farm. If you want to reach Pete Meyer, he is the Platts Head of Grain, Oilseed, and Advanced Feedstocks Analytics at uh, analytics at SP, S&P Global, uh, Commodity Insights. He's a good guest. He's a smart dude. He's got great stuff to talk about, and we won't even hold it against him that he's Dutch. Um, anyway. Look at that. Um, Pete, thanks for being here, my friend. Thank you for having me. I've, I've enjoyed every minute of it. I appreciate right. it. So until next time, please check out other great stuff at extremeag.farm. And until next time, it's Cutting the Curve. That's a wrap for this episode of Cutting the Curve. But there's plenty more. Check out extremeag.farm, where you can find past episodes, instructional videos, and articles to help you squeeze more profit out of your farm. Cutting the Curve is brought to you by Advanced Drainage Systems, the leader in agriculture water management solutions.